Was that wrong? You ought to be ashamed of How the hell is that Mike Florio's job? So what, the f*** did he know? Little PFTPM from the barn, Howie Roseman, the general manager of the Philadelphia Eagles, kind enough to join us now from the home office. This looks like it was your location for the three days of the draft. I think you're just going to permanently work out of there until you retire or die. Well, I'm not hoping to do either anytime soon. Thanks for being so positive as we start this, buddy. But uh, this, is my, this is my office. This is, this is where I, uh, I, I work every day. This is where I work before the draft. And I'm fortunate that I have this kind of space, you know, I got four kids and a dog and I kind of closed the door and I think it's soundproof or either that or my brain is soundproof. I haven't decided which one yet. Well, you know, here's what's amazing because I know NFL people are creatures of habit. So now that there's a new habit, even though it's only a one-time thing, are there going to be guys like you that want to continue next year doing the draft the same way it was this year? Well, I think that we're going to learn that we don't need to guard our desk, you know, like it's okay to go home. It's okay to work from home. You know, your kids have something. If, if people in our front office and we try to do this anyway, but I don't know that we do a good job of it. And maybe some of us as leaders have to make sure we're setting the tone. So it's like, if my kids, it's, it's the spring, you know, during the draft time, it's the spring. My kids got a basketball game. They got a baseball game. I got to walk next door to Andy Weidel, our, our vice president of player personnel and say, Hey, I'm going to the game and you should go too. You should go to, we can work at home. You know, we've, sh we've shown we can do this at home. And, um, hey, we're not home for dinner in the fall when it's football season. So let's everyone go. Go home for dinner. Go work after the kids go to bed. So we can do it. And I think it's a great message. It's a great message to all of us. You know, family's got to come first. And that's a fascinating human dynamic that cuts across all industries, Howie, because I think in any office setting, there's a compulsion to be there. You want to be seen there because how hard you're working is regarded as a function of how long you're in the office, regardless of what you're doing at home. You have to be there to be regarded as somebody who's working hard because only the people who are there can feel like they're in that little hive of the hard right. workers. There's no doubt about it. And, and the reality of it is like for a lot of us who have kids that are school age, we'll never get this time back. You know, so it, it's almost like it should be the reverse, right? You should almost be like, the hardest you're working should be when your kids are like, you know, out of college and you're kind of uh, alone, you're empty nesters, as opposed to the opposite where like you got to be in your groove during those years that your kids are in your groove and, you, and you're trying to raise them too. It's, it's kind of interesting. This is definitely what you want to talk about when you brought me on. Oh, well, hey, we talk about whatever. That's one of the reasons I like talking to you because yeah. we always find something to talk about completely different than what I intended to talk about, which prevents me from ever asking you the tough questions that I spent all that time at the office working on, I, staying I late so people would see how hard I work. And of course, hey, I don't the other the other cool thing is this. The other cool thing is we were supposed to talk later this afternoon, and I asked you to change the time, which I appreciate you did with me because the Blue Angels are doing a flyover in Philly. I'm going to take my kids outside and we're going to watch them. And, and the Blue Angels are, are a huge part of my family because we have so much respect for what they do. But I'm going to tell you a great story that you and I haven't discussed. So um, we go to Orange Beach, Alabama for a couple of weeks each summer. My wife's family has gone there for our whole life. And um, we got a place there. And, and actually, two blocks from Ozzie Newsome right there on the water. It's very cool. You know, I always get a chance to pick the brain of a Hall of Fame GM. And um, we go fishing and, and we're out in the Gulf and I'm fighting a marlin, right? 
and I'm fighting a Marlin and the Blue Angels are doing maneuvers in the Gulf right over that. And we're by ourselves. You can't see a boat. You can't see anything for as far as the eye can see. And I'm fighting this Marlin and you know how special it is to freaking catch a Marlin right there. And I'm fighting it and, and the Blue Angels are starting to mess with us. And they come down right over the boat, right? And, and our boat captain, his name's Charlie, right? And he was in Vietnam. And so he gets PTSD, right? Oh, God. And so now he ducks like he sees, like, the fire planes coming over. And the boat's rocking and rolling, and I'm trying to hang on to this marlin. But lo and behold, boom. Wait, that's not the marlin. Where's the marlin? Oh, I don't have the whole Marlin, man. Oh, that's the front end? That's the business end of the Marlin? <laughs> I like how you say that. I like how you say it. That's the, that's the business end. Yeah. Well, that's good. Really? So you landed the, bar, the Marlin and the Blue Angels didn't land on the boat. So mission accomplished Beautiful. on both accounts. All right. Um, let me ask you this. Scale of one to 10. How surprised were you by the reaction locally and nationally to the use of a second round pick on Jalen Hurts? Well, I'll tell you what, um, I feel like nationally, it's, it's been what I'd expected, you know, um, pretty rational, understood, you know, and, and I've been in Philly a long time. We have unbelievably passionate fans and, and I love it. You know, I've been part of this community and our fans are a big part of the reason that we have success. And so I appreciate that. I, I knew that, you know, I, I said this this morning on the radio, you know, when we made this pick and I'm trying to talk on Microsoft Teams and tell those guys and I said, hey, guys, you know, we're going to pick Jalen Hurts and, and hold on, you know, hold on to the side of the boat because it's going to get rocky. Another water analogy, I guess. And um, I, I knew at first it would be like that, but I thought when our fans would go back and watch highlights of this guy play and go back and listen to him talk and see how successful he was in college, um, and what kind of playmaker he is and, and what kind of person he adds to your culture and teammate he is. I, I thought it, it, would, it would be kind of like there would be excitement, you know, because this is one of the best players in college football over the last four years. And so I'm a little surprised, but I also understand it's only because they want to win right now. And, and, and I have a different job, you know. My job is I'm responsible for a lot of people. You know, our coaches work 100-hour weeks. Our staff works all the time in that building and and I I have to protect them too you know so my my job is kind of I got one hand here who has to do everything possible to make sure Carson Wentz is standing on that pedestal holding Lombardi trophy and I take that part very seriously but I also got to do whatever I can here to make sure that if there's a couple of games that he's missing especially as we go with this new format you know we've seen it we went four and two when Donovan McNabb was hurt in 2002, kept home field advantage. You saw the Chiefs go two and one this year. If they don't go two and one when Patrick Mahomes is out, they're not. They don't have home field advantage. And so we've had other experiences with that. And obviously, we've had a couple experiences the last few years. And so, you know, I kind of think about it. And we've kind of talked about it. And we go, all right, if we pick this position, but what what if something happens here? Because we got a good team. You know, are we protected? And, and that's a hard job, but that's my responsibility, and, and I have that obligation. And it should be easy on one hand to get the fan base to understand that because the Super Bowl championship from a couple of years ago was the result of having a backup quarterback in place who could step in when Carson Wentz got injured. I think what made it harder for the local fans to appreciate what you were doing with Hertz was the fact that on Thursday night, the Packers draft Jordan Love, and we spend all day with this narrative hmm. of the Packers moving on from Aaron Rodgers 
why else would they have taken Jordan Love? And I think that was kind of hanging in the air and it just kind of settled on you because you wow. had a lot of people with that same knee-jerk reaction. What the hell? They just paid Carson Wentz. Are they trying to supplant Carson Wentz with Jalen Hurts? Do you think that influenced that the fact that we were still kind of reeling? I, I had never thought about it that way. Maybe because I was just in the in the vacuum, you know, like I was just kind of going around and around. But listen, I, I could look you. I, I've, I could look him. I could look anyone in the eye, hopefully face-to-face -face at some point soon, and tell you we love Carson Wentz. And we've shown it with our actions. We showed it when we traded everything to go and get him. We showed it when we went and paid him on that contract. And it's not like we're trying to get out of that contract. Like, we're committed to that. But we're trying to build a football team that has incredible depth, that we have this value of this backup quarterback position. You know, Jeffrey said, like, we want to have two of the top ten quarterbacks in the league. Like, that's our goal. That's what we're trying to do. And we want to continue to do that because we've had so many experiences like this. And, Mike, you know, I – Maybe I've said this, that you've heard it, but you know, I talked about 2002 and doing that. 2003, you played in the championship game. Donovan McNabb got knocked out. We played with a backup quarterback. We come back in 2005. We had a backup quarterback. We went 5-11. and 11. The next year, Jeff Garcia, as a backup quarterback, we won the division with. 2010, Mike Vick started as a backup quarterback, won the division. 2013, Nick Foles came in as the backup quarterback, won the division. And then, you know, our, our last three years. So when we look at what makes a difference in the terms of winning and losing, and how valuable this position is, you know, it seemed to us when we went back and forth about the logic of this and obviously the evaluation of the player and what he could add to our team, that it made sense. You know, and I'm going to peel back the curtain just a little bit on my business. As you can imagine, and as you probably experienced, the people who cover the NFL are competitive. At times, they're a little petty. At times, they're a little catty. So there will be a reporter who throws an idea out there, and another reporter tells me about it and says, how stupid is this idea to try to cajole me into calling the reporter out because I have a reputation for doing that. But anyway, I say that because somebody mentioned the coronavirus connection here and that if and when there's a season – there's this ever-present possibility that a key player comes down testing positive, not necessarily having symptoms, but testing positive for the coronavirus, and that that's a reason to have Jalen Hurts around. And this other reporter's like, oh, this is stupid. It's like, actually, it, it makes sense. I mean, there's this random specter that is going to hover over your, every locker room if there's regular testing of players, which there will have to be. Carson Wentz is positive. You got to have a quarterback for, what, two, three weeks? Who knows? Were you thinking about that at all, this, this ambiguity of the coronavirus and how it can knock guys out just without really any rhyme or reason? You know, I, I'd be lying if I told you that was the primary factor in it, but it makes a lot of sense when I heard it. You know, it, it kind of added another sense, uh, part of this. But, you know, the way I think about it is for us to win a world championship right now, at a minimum, we're playing 20 games. Minimum, we're playing 20 games. 20 games, right? This 16 plus 3. I'm sorry, 19. And 19 for now, 20 next 20, year. 20, right. And then when it goes to 17, that's 20. That's a lot of games. You better build depth. And we saw it. I mean, we played in a Super Bowl without our starting left tackle, without our starting quarterback, without our starting middle linebacker, without our third down returner, without our best special teamer, just to name a few. You know, last year we're playing in the first round of the playoffs with, without our right guard, who we think is the best right guard in football, our right tackle, who we think is one of the best offensive line, offensive tackles in football, certainly the best right tackle in football. And then, you know, Carson in the second series takes that unfortunate hit, which, you know, still fires me up when I think about it. But at, at the end – Should have been flagged, should have been, been fine, right? You can say it. They know. 
anyway, so, um, so, so we get in a situation there where like, we have to still keep our priorities intact. And uh, there's no question, you know, there were players that we're looking at that were good players at that point as well. Um, but that was the decision we made. And, and I really feel like, you know, the combination because, you know, like we drafted a safety in the fourth round and there were a couple of good safeties on the board. And so the combination of that, of the, of Jalen plus Kayvon Wallace, like we'll stand by that. Those are good players that we're happy to add to our culture and to our football team. So do we see Jalen Hurts on the field? Clear this up for me because there's this idea that he's going to be like a Taysom Hill. We'll see him in different capacities, two quarterbacks on the field at the same time, even as he's serving as an understudy to Carson Wentz. Will we see that? You know, that's a, that's a better co question for Coach Peterson. You know, I'm not trying to duck it, but I'm also, you know, don't feel like that's, that's my dojo. Do you envision that in your own mind? Do you think, I'd like to see this guy out there and see what he can do in a different capacity than quarterback, regardless of what the coach is going to do? I love Carson Wentz, man. I, I love Carson Wentz, and, and I love going to, head, to bed at night, putting my head in, on the pillow and knowing that we have a strong quarterback room. That, that to me, makes me sleep better. One of the questions folks had was the decision to take Jalen Rieger from TCU, the first round receiver. A lot of people who, you know, make the mock drafts and think they know everything about the draft are surprised that Rieger was taken there. You explained on Thursday night that you picked him specifically because he complements Carson Wentz's skill sets. Explain how you think Jalen Rieger is the best guy who was available at the time to complement your quarterback's overall uh, skill set. Yeah, and, and again, you know, you got to find things that really fit your team with the talent that fits your team. And Jalen's an incredibly talented guy. And what he does really well is he's got an explosive skill set. He could separate vertically on the outside. He can play outside and inside. Um, but for us, a guy like that who you can get the ball quickly to on screens, on jet sweeps, who can return, who is a, has a vertical skill set, you know, that fits our quarterback's um, skill pattern and really like I, I use this example of going back watching the first game of the year and when Deshaun played in that game and having him streaking down the sideline and then our slot receiver streaking down the sideline like you saw the separation there but was also was obvious to me was you had Zach Ertz in the middle of the field screaming for the ball wide open because safeties have to play differently when you're able to get that vertical threat when you're able to have that speed on the field and and listen all you got to do is watch the Chiefs play in the Super Bowl and you see that you know you see obviously when you do that so we have intermediate threats you know that that are unbelievable we're really we love our tight ends you know we drafted JJ last year we have Alshon we have Greg Ward we have guys like that it helps the running game it helps the O-line it helps the quarterback and at the same time like we think this is an incredibly talented guy and uh, we started the draft process last May and our, our scouts are our, our our front office does a great job of getting ahead of the next year draft and saying, here, here are the strengths. And I remember watching the receivers and Jalen was coming off as a 19 year old sophomore with an incredible soft, you know, incredible year and just watching him and going, man, this guy, man, he's lightning in a bottle. Last one before I let you go outside to get your tower buzzed by the blue angels again, <laughs> draft grades. Do you, pay, and I want you to tell me the truth here, and I know you always do. Do you pay attention to the draft grades that are handed out after the process ends? Hell yeah. I love reading it on Monday. I love reading about it. And then I, I, this is what I do. I put it in a little drawer right here, and I close it, and I remind myself four years later that nobody knows anything the day after the draft, man. Where people are, are chosen, the schemes they're chosen, the culture they're chosen into, 
it all affects their ability to be successful. And so uh, for anyone, for us, for anyone to sit there and say they know what's going to happen, there's no way. Isn't that amazing, though, that with all the work you put in, all the effort, all the time, all the study, it still ultimately is a crapshoot as to whether or not a guy is going to make it at the next level that you don't know until he's out there competing against NFL caliber talent. And you think about it, I mean, where, where else and what other industry in the world are people coming into that field for the first time and judged in their first, second, third, fourth year on the job? You know, I know, like, I hope I'm getting better every year. I'm learning more every year. Uh, I'm trying to pick brains of more people every year. I'm, I'm getting more experience every year. So to think that, like, you know, people are being judged on what they do at the outset of their career as 22 year olds, moving to new cities, learning new schemes, maybe getting money in their pocket for the first time. And ultimately people are going to say in their career of their choice, they're a bust based on that initial freaking glimpse at them. It's ridiculous. And, and all you got to look at for our team is Brandon Graham. You know, we drafted Brandon Graham in 2010 and he wore this label bust. You know, we, we, why did we take him over other players in that draft? And, um, you know, we, we, got a, we got a big trophy in Philadelphia that was clinched when he made the game-saving play. And an amazing player, amazing leader. And uh, it just it takes time, man. It takes time for everything in life, but not a lot of patience. Well, on that note, I'll let you get outside. Take that trophy from the Marlin out there and wave it around and see if the Blue Angels remember it. Enjoy the time with your family, Howie. Congratulations on the draft. Thanks for some of your Thank time. You. We'll talk to you soon. Always enjoy talking with you, man. Stay safe. We'll see Thanks. you.